Well, good morning, Third Street. How y'all feeling? Rest. You know, I've been thinking it all morning. Um, man, y- y'all not slick. <laughs> like, you see what I'm saying? I, but also, this is how I know that we're meant to be together. Because when I started seeing people arrive by the busload this morning, I was like, what is going on? And then somebody reminded me, oh, it's food after service today. And I was like, oh, that's why, that's why, so y'all aren't slick. But also, me too. I get it. That's exactly what I would do. That's how I would play it. That's how I know we were meant to be family. And I can't wait to greet so many of you who are staying to enjoy this blessed food. I'm not going to act like I wasn't sampling out in the hallway just a second ago during that second worship song. I'm not going to act like that because I was. And it was delicious. And I'm glad to share this space with you. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Corey. I'm the pastor here at Third Street Community Church. And it is my honor and my privilege this morning to be bringing forth the word of God. If you've been with us, you know that we've been in a series called One. Church, if you've been with me, say one. One. Church, if this is your first time and you just now hit to the fact that we're in a series called One, say one. one. There we go. Love you, new folks. Um, We've been in this series called One, and I, 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 hate, I hate to say it, but, but this morning we've reached, we've reached the conclusion. I know, it's so sad. It's so sad. But don't worry. But don't worry. We got the, uh, we got the podcast updated. YouTube's been tracking. And so if you haven't been with us and you want to catch up, I encourage you to follow Third Street Community Church on all forms of social media, and you will be caught up and brought up to speed. But this morning, we conclude our series called One, where we've been rooted specifically in the book of Philemon. Yeah, as you turn to Philemon, you look and you see, wow, we've been here for four weeks. It's so small. It's such an itty-bitty book. But that's how complex and how compact this book really is. We talked in the first week about starting with Jesus as Jesus is the source of all reconciliation. And then in week two, we talked, we talked about that concept a little bit deeper as we talked about the fact that God's desire, God's heart, God's intent is to reconcile all people back to himself. In other words, to make us good. In other words, to make us in right standing. In other words, to make us clean and blameless. In other words, for us to be able to throw out our past and the things that we used to do, the things that we used to be a part of, the people that we used to be, and to actually be created new. And then last week, it got a little bit messier. Yeah, y'all still quiet from last week. It got a little messier last week as we... As we got into the idea that God's intent after reconciling us to himself is to reconcile us to one another. Honestly, I'm shocked that any of y'all are here today after last week. God's intent, even in the most complex of situations, even in the messiest and the most nuanced of details, is to reconcile us to one another. And now we reach Paul's Parting words, the last thing that Paul is going to say. And I believe that as we read these words, Paul's parting words mirror that of Jesus. Strikingly similar in a lot of ways. 
And I also believe, and it would be my hope, my prayer, my desire, that Paul's parting words to Philemon would serve as guiding words for Third Street Community Church through the year 2023. And so if you haven't already, I would encourage you to flip to the book of Philemon. If you have your electronic devices with you and you feel confident in your ability to fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, and whatever else these kids are doing these days, I encourage you to do that. Otherwise, if you're not confident or you don't have your Bibles, it's all good. We got it right up here on the screen for you. So this is Philemon. It's only one chapter, so we're going to go straight to... Verse 22, the Apostle Paul writes to Philemon this way. He says of this, he says, Meanwhile, yeah, after I just made you feel some type of way. Yeah, after, after, after all the complicated things we just, we just covered. Meanwhile, Paul says, also, gosh, there's more. Prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark. So does Aristarchus, so does Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I've mentioned on a few occasions the struggle of keeping a house clean with four children. Because it is a struggle, right? And even in saying that, I can, feel, I, 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 can, I can feel the thoughts of my brother sitting in the back who's got five kids, like, grow up, quit being a baby. And that's a competition that I'm not trying to win. But it's tough with four kids keeping a house clean, most especially when you have people in your house who don't function well in uncleanliness. I'm not one of them, but other people feel that way. And most recently... Most recently, the task that we have, we have uh, had to navigate is the idea of who cleans up what stuff, right? And, and, and the, this fight that our kids get in, I'm sure you never did this in your childhood. I'm sure my kids are the only ones. But this fight that we get in of like, when I tell you to clean a room and y'all start arguing about like, but that's not my stuff, that's her stuff. Right. Well, the funny thing about me asking you to clean up this room is there's no care in my heart for whose stuff it is. I had asked you to clean it up. Right. But that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't register with our kids. And most recently, I I put my kids in this room and I closed the door and I literally told them and listen, judge my parenting if you need to. But God's got me. I said I said, you are not coming out of this room until this room is clean. You're not coming out. And dinner's almost done, so I'd figure it out. Or it's gonna be, y'all gonna be real hungry, right? You're not coming out of this room until this room is clean. And you guys know what happened though, don't you? You know the result. Some of y'all got siblings. Some of y'all got kids. You know what happened. I went back in that room 20 minutes later not because I fully expected it to be done, but because the screams and the cries and the fighting that was coming from that room was too much for me to handle. And so I walk in that door and I'm like, what is going on? And sure enough, you know it's true, sure enough, the room was somehow messier than when I left them. How does this happen? And then it hit me. I look at my wife and I literally said this to her. I was like, this is how God feels. This is how God feels. 
See, Jesus had promised that he's coming back. And you know what he expects us to do in, in, while we wait for his arrival? To be making progress towards the reality he has instructed us about. Right? He expects us to be making progress. But imagine this. I know it takes a lot of imagination. It's really difficult because it's not super realistic. But imagine Jesus comes back, opens the door to our world, and looks in and sees more screaming and fighting and crying and arguing over whose mess it is than actually progressing towards what he's instructed. Imagine that. Can't imagine, can you, Dish? Can't imagine it. I have to imagine he would come back to this world, look down and be like, how did y'all make a bigger mess than when I was crucified? How? Right? The Apostle Paul in the book of Philemon has just given specific instructions to Philemon on how to clean up some messy situations. Right? He has just given specific instruction on how to get back on the same page as some folks that he's not living on the same page as. And then, as if that's not enough, he tops it. The cherry on top of the complication Sunday is Paul's like, oh, by the way, one more thing. Get get my room ready because I'm coming. Right. As soon as I'm out of this little this little situation right here, which was jail, by the way. As soon as I'm out of this little situation right here, I'm coming over. Prepare a room for me, Paul says. Get the guest room ready. Get that meal that I like on the table. Prepare for the fellowship, right? Which seems appropriate. It seems appropriate after suggesting that Philemon receive Onesimus no longer as his slave, but as a brother. Actually, Paul's specific words are, make sure you receive Onesimus the way that you would receive me. And just in case you were ready to give me some weak response as to like, well, I did, like I like said hi and I like dapped him up and I was like, welcome back or whatever, right? Just in case you were ready to give some weak response as to how you welcomed him back, I'm going to put in your imagination how you actually would receive me because I'm going to tell you that I'm on my way. You don't need to think about how I should receive him. I'm telling you that I'm on my way. You know how you would receive me. So go ahead and receive Onesimus like that. It's appropriate. Paul, though, this is not, this is not a, 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 an original idea. Did you guys catch it? That Paul is actually taking a page right out of Jesus's playbook. We've heard Jesus talk about talk this way before. Remember, I talked to you, I, I, I love to, t- to talk about the different versions of Jesus. Y'all know my favorite version of Jesus is the, is the Jesus that makes breakfast after he's resurrected. You know that's my favorite, that's my favorite part. After he sees Peter and he's like, this dude just denied me three times. He done lied straight to my face that he wasn't going to do it. I, sh- I ought to be done with him. I just went through, through hell, right, literally. And, 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 and this is the first time that I've seen this backstabbing dude and I'm going to make him breakfast, right? That's my favorite Jesus, right? But, but, but a close, a close, a close Jesus to that, a close version of Jesus to that is the Jesus that invites himself over. I love the Jesus that invites himself over. 
Invites himself over. I love that Jesus, right? He looks at Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus isn't like, hey man, if you like aren't doing anything later or whatever, I was just thinking like, Jesus is like, oh, Zacchaeus, what's good? I'm coming over. Bet! That's amazing, right? Paul's parting words are a mirror of Jesus' words as he foretold the day that someday he will be back. Jesus says it explicitly because you know that Paul's not the only one that's coming back, Colossae. Paul's not the only one that's coming back. Jesus is coming back. And Jesus paints that picture perfectly in Matthew chapter 25 if you, if you want to find where it's at. Otherwise, I'll give you a faithful telling. Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, he's talking about himself. He's like, when the Son of Man returns, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, you know, once and for all, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate them one from another. He will separate, Jesus says, the sheep, from the goat. And in case you don't know which one you want to be, it's the sheep. It actually ain't the goat. Some of y'all are wasting your time trying to be the goat, but I don't have time today. Listen to me. Listen to me. What you want to be is a sheep because what Jesus says is the sheep, the son of man is going to put the sheep on his right side. And what he says to the sheep is he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the sheep are going to look at him and be like, and be like, but when did we see you that way? Y'all like that way too much. Don't give me that credit. It only encourages me to keep going. But when did we see you that way, Jesus? And Jesus hits him with this line. He says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. See, Jesus is naming the people most likely to be turned away by his audience. He's talking to a specific people and he's like, I know who y'all don't mess with, right? Y'all don't mess with the hungry. Y'all don't mess with those people on the, on, the, on the highway holding up the signs. I see how you roll right past them. He, said, he says, the hungry, you fed them. He, said, he says, I see, I see that you don't mess with the thirsty, right? I see some of y'all's Instagrams. A lot of y'all thirsty, but the good news, the good news is that Jesus says, I should give you something to drink. Which is why I yelled at you last week. He says, I see that you don't mess with people who aren't like you, with strangers. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't sound like me. They don't act like me. Some of y'all really don't smell like me. He says, but I saw how you treated the stranger. You took the stranger in. He says, I see that you don't, that you don't mess with the naked. I don't got time to talk about how, never mind. I can't, I can't, I can't. Some of y'all mess with the naked too much. But some of y'all, some of y'all don't mess with the naked. He said, you took him in. You gave him clothes. You don't mess with the sick, but you went above and beyond to see that the sick were made well. He said, and when I was in prison, I know a lot of y'all think that that's where bad people go, but can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? 
God wants to deliver the hope right to a jail cell. Because God sees a person worth his freedom. God sees a person who doesn't need to be looked down on, but needs to be set free, needs to be liberated, needs to know the hope and the transformation that only he can bring. And the testimony that he will write as a result is absolutely beautiful. He says, when I was in prison, you visited me. What you're willing to do for the people that you're most likely to turn away, Jesus says, it's like you're doing it for me. But can I show you real quick? This is just one little fun thing about the text. Can I show you real quick something really cool that he does? He he calls them brothers. He doesn't call them other people. He doesn't call them sick or lonely. He He says, what you do for even these of my brothers. You know, the word that he uses in Greek is the same word that Paul instructs Philemon on how to receive Onesimus. He says, I want you to receive him like a brother. It's that same word. He's tying it together. He says, anyone who is searching for hope, anyone who is searching for me, anyone who I want to include in my kingdom, and that's everyone, you should be ready to receive. And how do you receive them? Like a brother. Like a sister. And now I know that there's one too many of y'all vibing with my message this morning for me to not think that there's at least a handful of people in here that are like, yeah, that's cool. I'm with it. But as long as you're not talking about, you know, something over here, right? As long as you don't mean at work, I'm good, right? As long as you don't mean I need to be willing to like receive and like bless the people at work, like we're good, right? As long as you don't mean at school, because, you know, people at my school would be tripping, So as long as you don't mean at school, we're good. As long as you don't actually mean that I literally have to stop on the highway every time I see somebody with a sign, we're good. As long as you don't actually mean literally receive them in my house. I mean, I'll volunteer to to, to shake some hands at Third Street, but I don't want people coming in my house, right? As long as you don't mean in my house, we're good. Right. I know I can read some of y'all's minds. Some of y'all thinking as long as it doesn't interfere with my schedule, because, you know, you know, Jesus, I'm busy. Right. I got a lot going on. And some of this might actually pay some dividends that I can put some money in a bucket one day. But what I'm saying is that as long as it doesn't interfere with my schedule, then I'm willing to receive people into my life. Or as long as it's not specific people, because, you know, Jesus, I've lived just a little bit too long dealing with certain folks. For me to possibly believe that you have it intended for me to receive those folks. Right. But you know what I love about what Paul is saying and what I love about the way that Jesus phrases the things that he says when he's given these instructions is that this isn't like a fun, optional little add on to our faith, but rather it's the measure by which we will be judged at at the gates. And that's a hard reality that we don't want to talk about because we want to think that as long, you know, like I pray, I pray the sinner's prayer, please, as long as I profess with my mouth and enter into my heart and whatever, whatever. And there's no evidence from your life that's got to follow it up. Jesus says it plainly. He says, I will know that you're my people 
based on the way you've received the very people that you're fighting with your whole life to not receive. God is clear throughout scripture. Go to the Old Testament. That's where it gets real graphic, y'all. Go to the Old Testament and read about a city where we couldn't find one person to open the door for God. We couldn't find one in the whole city. Go ahead and go read about what happened to that city. I'll give you a hint. It ain't on the map no more. God is clear about his desire for you to be willing to receive people that he wants to be a part of his kingdom. See, when you trust in Jesus, you become a light. You become a light. And all these people who don't know Jesus are like little bugs, right? And, and we treat them like insects too sometimes. But, what I, but the analogy that I'm drawing here is that they're drawn to the light. When you, when you accept Jesus, you become a light. And God is trying to work things out to bring people to the light. So what are you saying? Well, by applying the transitive property that you all learned freshman, sophomore year in high school, what that means is when you receive Jesus, God's working it out so that people who need him come to you. So be ready. That's what he's saying. Some of y'all think it's only on Sunday. And that as long as I bring my friend to hear Corey yell at them, we're going to work it out. But that's not God's design. As long as I bring them so that that Rev can lead lead them into worship and they can just feel what I feel every Sunday, they'll be good. But that's not what God is working out. God is bringing them to you. He's brought some people to me, but he's bringing people to you. That's how this is working. And look, I get it. If it's not at the Martin Center, if the people that you're receiving are not at the Martin Center, because not everybody likes kids, not everybody likes teenagers, and honestly, not everybody likes this specific brand of teenagers. Gen Z different. You see what I'm saying? I love you, but like, I pray for the people that need to save your souls, because I, I, I don't know, bro. I don't know. Right? I get it. Some people, some people don't play basketball. And some of y'all that think you don't shouldn't, right? Or think you do shouldn't, right? And so I get it. I get it. Some of the people who come in here Monday through Saturday, that's not for you to receive. And that's cool. That's cool with me. But as long as you're not going to receive the people who come into the Martin Center, I, you, you have to be able to show God where you are receiving people. Where in your life are you receiving people? Who do you need? To take under your spiritual care. What need is the Lord bringing to you so that you, so that he can meet it through you? Because the answer is not none. It's not. And then Paul makes it worse. I mean, to be Philemon, you know, but he makes it worse. He says, not only do I want you to be ready for this, not only do I want you to be willing to receive anyone, but I also want you to pray for it. Now you're telling me how to pray, Paul? Yeah. Yeah, he is. He says, I want you to pray for it. He says, because I expect that you'll be praying for my restoration to you. 
not only do I need you to be ready for when I show up, I expect that you're praying. And God, I pray that today is the day that Paul shows up at my doorstep to personally victimize me in the face. Right? I want you to pray that way. And Jesus recommends this too. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this. Isn't it funny how it's not an option? Not a fun little opt-in, right? Not a pay extra add-on to our faith prayers, right? It's not. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. He says, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive in our debtors. Uh-oh. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus doesn't give an option either. He's like, I expect that you're praying. And not like those folks in the synagogues or the street corners or your Instagram reels. I'm talking about like genuinely in your prayer closet, shut the door. No one can hear you. Get on your face before the Lord and genuinely pray like this. It says your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we are actively saying, God, we want your will. We understand that in many ways, what we want does not align with what God wants. But God is infinitely more wise and infinitely more creative than we are. And so, God, this is me in my private time, not around anybody, not trying to impress nobody. Just me and you and being real and raw. I want what you want. I want your will. I want your way. I want your reality to be touching earth. We're saying, let me step back from what I want specifically, and trust that your will, your way, your reality is actually better. And then it says, give us today our daily bread. You know what's not fun about bread is that I want steak. I wanted to say, give us today my daily steak. But you know why he says bread? Well, I don't have time to tell you all the theological reasons I believe that he says bread. But most specifically, uh, he's he's referencing the fact that bread or manna is what fell from heaven when Moses and the Israelites were starving. In other words, it's what you need. What we're saying when we say give us our daily bread is not we're not saying give me what I want. We're saying, God, give me what I need so that I can see to it that your will is what happens today. God, I know it's your will for me to, go, to be a good father. So, Lord, don't give me a babysitter today. Give me the patience that I need to be a good father. Amen. Right? Every day. They just wake up and they're still there, dish. At 7 a.m., they're still 6.30. God bless your heart. Right? Give us... Today, in other words, give me what I need, not what I want, but what I need. Give me what I need to be able to participate in your will. We become willing participants in what God's going on. And then, oh, yeah, there's that recurring theme of forgiving our debtors. Why? Because we're forgiven. Paul says, Onesimus' debt, put it on my tab. Why? Because you got a heck of a tab with me, boy. So we'll just go ahead and we'll just divvy up. Call it even, right? I want you to pray that God will work out the ways for people 
to experience his kingdom, even in the midst of this fallen world. And I want you to expect that you find yourself in the middle of it. I read this essay from C.S. Lewis one time, and ever since then, I, I, I think of prayer like a marriage proposal. Okay. Oh, y'all know I almost ruined somebody's marriage proposal yesterday? Yo, check this out. This is wild. So earlier in the day, a friend of mine, he's going to propose to his girl that night. He calls me, and he says, uh, hey, uh, I'm proposing to her. Uh, this is what's going on. He, t- he tells me his plan. He's like, I'm going to this restaurant. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's going to love that. He's like, then I'm going to do this. I'm going to take her over here, buzz a blow, and then, you know, will you marry me? She's going to be emotional. She's going to say yes, ring fits, all that good stuff, right? He's explaining it to me. I was like, all right, bet. We end the conversation this way. I was like, all right, well, I'm sure one of y'all will call me tonight, so I look forward to talking to you later. Makes sense, right? So later that night, I'm out to dinner with Rachel and her family celebrating like 900 birthdays in the month of January and February. And, and, and as we're at dinner, she calls me. Girl getting proposed to. What's a guy to think? What's a guy to think? What's a guy to think? So I answered. I'm like, hello? She's like, bro. I'm like, yeah. She's like, I got to talk to you about this restaurant we just went to. I was like, oh, and I said the name of the restaurant. Because what's a guy to think? Why would you call me? And if you're the guy, why would you let her call me? I shouldn't be trusted. We didn't pray over the pastoral confidentiality thing. And so I said the name of the restaurant. She goes, how did you know? And I was like, um, I was like, you told Rachel. I lied. Okay. I repent before all of you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. I repent. I'm sorry. I tried to save a situation. I lied. And you know what's even worse? I lied confidently. So confidently that she believed me. I was like, you told Rachel. We had a whole conversation about it. Remember you said you were going there on this Saturday? And I was like, oh yeah, that's when we're going to this restaurant. Oh, you'll love it there. Remember we had a whole conversation. And she's like, I guess we did. This close, guys. This close. Now look, the reality is, did I almost ruin a moment? Yes. I absolutely almost ruined a moment, okay? I was so freaking scared. But did I almost ruin their marriage, though? Of course not. Of course not. Why? Because... It was already in his heart to propose. And it was already in her heart to say yes. And what happens now that she said yes? All the planning, all the preparation, all the invitations, all the celebrations, right? All this stuff goes into play. Here's what I'm trying to say, because I see y'all looking at me like, how on earth? Listen, the relationship you have with God is giving you the heart to do something that is already in his heart to do. You see what I'm saying? When we pray, 
we, we, we should want to pray for God's kingdom reality to be here for all people because of how we have experienced his grace and truth, right? And when we ask him to make things on earth as they are in the kingdom, we're asking him to do something that's already in his heart to do. Do you see what I'm saying? Thus, we become willing participants in what is in God's heart to do on this earth. The conversations that you have with God, the relationships that you have with God, the prayer life that you have with God is what gives you the heart to see his will be done on earth. And when you have the heart to see his will be done on earth and you pray for it, he is granting something that is already him want, what he wants to do. If you don't feel it, if you don't feel that way, I, I don't know if I've ever had it work, work out that way. My encouragement to you is to get to know God on a level that makes you want to pray for his kingdom to come. Because for those of us who have experienced his kingdom on earth, for those of us who have been received, as the prodigal son, the one who ran away, as the runaway slave, the one who had legal right to be held accountable. For those of us who have, who have been far from Christ, when we were received back, when our silhouette hit the horizon, it was not a, mm, mm, I guess, but Jesus' parable says the father leapt down from his balcony and ran to the son. When you've experienced his kingdom, when you've experienced somebody whose heart was really dark, when you've, when you've been somebody who's been really far away and you realize that the father is in heaven, not waiting to smack you down with judgment, but just waiting for your silhouette to turn around and look at him just one quick time. And he runs to you and he picks you up and he celebrates and the angels celebrate and everyone in heaven sings and it's yours. And that's the relationship to be restored forever when you've experienced that. You want it for other people too. And so it's not just an expectation that we live that way, but it's an expectation that we pray that way. Right? And I'm going to tell you one more thing, and then I promise I'm out your way. Because, because a lot of people just, just end it there. A lot of people, we're done talking about Philemon. He says, get a guest room ready for me. Pray that I'll be restored to you. Peace out. We end it there. But there's this tiny little section at the very end. This tiny little section at the very end. And we think like, oh, he's just saying the homies send their greetings. Got it. But the dangers of casual reading allow you to miss how beautiful this really is. How incredible this really is. Look at the names. He says Epaphras says what's up. Epaphras is the one from Colossae who was transformed by Jesus' ministry and ran back to Colossae and evangelized the whole city. He's the one who brought the gospel to Colossae. In case you're wondering what authority I have to speak into your situation, to speak into your city, to speak into your neighborhood, to speak into your culture, your boy who brought it to you in the first place, cosigns, he sees this letter. He says, what's up? He says, Mark, Mark, is from North Africa. And he's the one that Paul had a falling out with. 
But by him including Mark in this letter, clearly their relationship, despite the famous fallout, has been restored. So even as Paul writes, I want you to restore this relationship from some fallout, he's putting somebody who he had fallout with on this letter who's co-signing Paul's sentiment. He says, Aristarchus. You know Aristarchus? He's, he's, he, he's wild, man. You know, you know him? You remember him? He's the one that when we were all in Ephesus and the riot started because we told, we told this is a crazy story. We told the people that, that, that they should throw away their idols and that, and that Jesus was, was the only God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the only one. And so then when the people threw out the idols, you know what happened? A whole bunch of people who work in the metal profession who were making the idols, they they got really upset. I don't know why, but I guess it like messed with their money a little bit. And so they rioted and they went after, they went after your boy Aristarchus, right? And they held him in the theater downtown. They held him and arrested him and they were going to do really, really bad things to him until, you know, they came and got him out of that situation. You remember he was the one that found him in the middle of that whole situation. He's wild, right? He talks about Demas. Demas is the one who is like super loyal to Paul. But you know what's going to happen later? Demas is going to desert Paul. He's going to go away. They're going to say that they have to turn Demas over, that they, that they can't condone or support the ministry that he's a part of or be a part of what he's talking about, and he's going to depart from them. And then he says, Luke. Luke, the physician, the doctor, you know the one, the one from Antioch. So we're talking about a dude from your hometown of Colossae. We're talking about the North African. We're talking about the Thessalonian. We're, ten, we're talking about the dude from Antioch, and we're talking about the wild boy who travels the globe. All of us together, all of us together are sending this letter. And honestly, here's what I love the most. You know how I know all that stuff? From studying, because Paul doesn't say any of it. Paul doesn't say any of it. Why? Because he doesn't have to. It's understood. He doesn't have to say, look, look, and I got got my Antioch brother right here, and I got my North African brother right here, and I I got my guy from your hometown right here, right? He doesn't have to say any of that because it's understood. Because it's a natural byproduct of the way Paul lives his life. What Paul is communicating is that if you follow these instructions, if this is the way you live your life, then the natural byproduct of living this way is people from all over the world coming to know the gospel. I know some of y'all came to Third Street. You wandered in here this morning because you're looking for a little bit of flavor in your life. You're looking for a little bit of diversity in your life. You want me to tell you how to get diversity in your life? It's not by coming to places like this. I'm just going to spoil it for you right now. The reality is the way you get diversity in your life is you live your life the way that Paul just described. Because the natural byproduct, the natural outcome of living your life the way that Paul describes is people from all over the place come to experience the light that Jesus has given you. That there is no limitation to who you can speak to. There is no limitation to whose experience vibes with you. There is no limitation to where you're from and where I'm from. As he says in Colossians, there's not Jew or Gentile. Because when it's talking about responding to the light of Jesus, people will come from all over, from all different walks of life to be a part of that. That's how you experience diversity. You want to know how we get to equity? You want to know how we get to equity? Is we do the exact same thing. Equity for all people groups is a natural byproduct because why? No sociological hierarchies are held up when hearts are transformed. 
It doesn't matter where these people are from or what their society's got going on or how you see them. I don't care that you see them as a slave because I see them as a brother. No hierarchies are held up and equity is possible when the hearts of the people involved are transformed. You want to know how we get inclusion? That's the word right now, right? That's the buzzword. All your businesses are talking about it. You know how we get inclusion? We live the way that Paul is instructing. And what happens is though relationships are complicated and nuanced, what happens is we move together into the formation of one family and one humanity. It is a natural byproduct of living the way Paul outlines, Jesus outlines, and God has been outlining in the inspired scriptures for thousands and thousands of years. That's how we see that day. And you know what else? We shouldn't need to say it. We shouldn't need to. I'm not saying there's not a time to say it. What I'm saying is we shouldn't need to. We shouldn't need to put it on our walls. We shouldn't need to put it on our websites. We shouldn't need to plaster it everywhere, right? Oh, Third Street, that's where all people from all types of places. We shouldn't need to say all that because it should be natural. It should be because of the way that we live. I know only 10 of y'all are feeling me and the others are questioning their membership here. I get it. But what I'm saying is that it's actually just a matter of following the promptings of the Spirit of God in our life, that it should be a natural outpouring and a natural flow of the way Jesus would have have us live our lives and the way Paul has instructed Philemon to live his. So church, here's what I'm going to say, and then I'm, I'm done. I'm done. This is it. Worship team's coming back up right now and I'm out your way. I want you to genuinely pray and think about where do you personally need to be ready to receive people as a brother or sister? What's the need that the Lord is putting in front of you, whether you want to recognize it as that yet or not? That's between you and God to figure out. I can suggest it, but it's between you and God to figure out what is, what is the need? Who are the people that God is placing right in front of you? And how are you receiving them? Jesus says on his, on his way to the cross in John chapter 13, he tells his boys, he's like, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another by this. How? Your love of me and your love of each other. By this the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How do people know that you go to Third Street? It's not because you wear the T-shirt. How do people know you go to Third Street? It's not because you repost the sermons every week on your IG. How do people know you go to Third Street? I hope it's because of the way that you live your life. That's what I hope. How do people know you belong to Jesus? By the way that we live our life. By the way, more specifically, that we love people whose society might look around and think, far be it for you to love that person. How, do we, how, do we, how, do, how does the world know, how does God know that we belong to him? That there is no limitation to who we receive as a brother or a sister. And then I want us to pray. In the coming year, Candace is going to help us out, right? She's going to help us. Raise the prayer temperature of this place. But I, wanna, I want to see all of us genuinely praying daily, hourly, minutely 
for God's reality to be touching earth. Pray for the Lord's will to be worked out in all circumstances, in all spaces, in all relationships. Because I believe that when we pray for these things, we become willing participants in what God wants to see done. And lastly, lastly, Third Street, I want to see us live in a way that makes people ask questions, that make people real curious, but we don't got to explain it because our justification don't come from nobody but the Lord. Live in a way that makes people real curious, but it's completely natural and normal to who God is and to who God wants us to be. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that once upon a time, though we were yet still enslaved to our sin, you saw fit at just the right time to send your son Jesus and to set us free. Lord, I pray that as you have set out since the fall of humanity to see a people set free, I pray that your presence in our lives will pull us toward an aligned mission. God, we pray. We pray that you would give us what we need to see it through. Lord, only you know the full complication and the full nuance to what it means for us to radically love people in all spaces, in all situations, in all relationships. And so God, I pray that you would give us what we need in order to live in a way that you have instructed. And Lord, we pray for forgiveness for the ways that we've lived against this mission, for the ways that we've fallen out of line. Lord, we pray for forgiveness for the bias and the chains we've held on our hearts towards people, towards situations. God, we pray that you would forgive us. And God, I pray that as we feel the forgiveness, our guilt, our shame melt away, I pray that we would become willing participants in letting other people be set free from the chains we've held on our hearts. God, I pray that we would, be, we would lead with forgiveness, that we would lead with hospitality. And God, I pray as we follow this way of living, it's gonna look weird to a whole lot of people. And so I pray that you lead us not into a world we confidently proclaim that you will lead us not into temptation. But Father, we praise you because we believe that we will be delivered as a result from evil. Pray these things by the name that makes it all possible, the very name that rose from the dead. Pray this in the name of Jesus. All who believe say, bless up.